This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Coming up on Finding Center, we'll bring you a live broadcast of today's BYU devotional. John Bingham, Associate Dean at the BYU Marriott School of Business, will deliver the address. Stay tuned for the devotional. It begins at five minutes after the hour. John B. Beam is the Donald L. Staley Professor and Associate Dean in the Merritt School of Business. He previously served as Director of the MBA and Executive MBA programs at BYU. He has also served as Chair of the Department of Management from 2017 to 2019. Professor Bingham teaches courses on organizational behavior, strategic human resource management, and leading and thriving to MBA, executive MBA, and undergraduate students. He and his wife Amy are the parents of five children, and they enjoy hiking, skiing, river rafting, and traveling, and according to the Y News, disco roller skating. <laughs> Following Brother Bingham's remarks, the benediction will be offered by Annie McBride, a master's student in public administration from Provo, Utah. And now we'll be pleased to hear from Brother John B. Bingham. My wife, Amy, loves new experiences. In 2017, she convinced our family that we needed to travel five hours from Provo to eastern Idaho to see the full solar eclipse in person. We got organized and took off driving to the nearest zone of totality, the ideal place to observe a solar eclipse. We drove in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic along what are usually empty roads. We found what I'm sure was the last parking spot in all of Idaho, and then we herded the kids past revelers who looked like they'd been camped there for days or even weeks. All I could think was, is this really worth it? We could have watched this online. We found a place to sit, and we squinted through our overpriced cardboard glasses as the partial eclipse began. Initially, I have to admit, I was pretty underwhelmed, but I watched and I waited. Suddenly, the light around us began to change rapidly. The birds stopped chirping, the temperature dropped, the laughter, the music, and the talking all around us quieted. It's happening people started to say out loud. The darkness deepened. We took off our cardboard glasses and we stared upward, looking directly at the sun that wasn't there. Now, it's hard to describe what we saw, and even the most detailed pictures don't do it justice. What's more difficult to express is how I felt. I got goosebumps and found myself getting choked up. I stood there in the quiet darkness with my wife, kids, and hundreds of onlookers, our eyes all fixed on the sky, and marveled in awe at this remarkable heavenly expression. For one minute and 45 seconds, we stared in silent, reverent wonder. I experienced something during the eclipse that I did not anticipate a spiritual surprise, an unexpected connection to the divine. The mood in the crowd was different as we walked quietly back toward the car. A couple stopped us and asked, hey, what did you think? 
The woman's eyes were still wet with tears. Wasn't it awesome? She asked. Awesome. We use that word a lot these days to describe the taste of food. That sandwich was awesome. To acknowledge a gift or service. Hey, I got you that book. I'll drop it by your apartment later tonight. Awesome. To reaffirm that we're willing to do something. Hey, do you want to go to devotional with me? Yeah, awesome. (laughs) In fact, some people think everything is awesome. (laughs) Although we may overuse the word awesome, and the way we may use it in everyday talk may take away from its true meaning, the root of the word awesome, awe, is actually quite inspiring. Today I'm going to talk about the word awe, and I define awe as profound reverence, a personal and unexpected reaction to seeing God at work. It is seeing or witnessing something inspiring and feeling the Spirit touch our hearts to confirm truth, expand knowledge, or reaffirm heavenly love. It's the divine surprise I felt for those 95 seconds as we stood in the zone of totality of the solar eclipse. Do you remember feeling a bit of God's magnificence when perhaps you didn't expect it? Maybe when you experienced heart-stopping art, you looked into a microscope or a telescope and you saw new worlds. You came to a critical point in a breathtaking piece of music where you finally grasped a complex idea with a flash of understanding. These moments of surprise are manifestations of Heavenly Father's love for us, His children. They are ways that God both connects with and nourishes us. Today, I'd like to help us find recognize and cherish awe in our lives, particularly when we're in a spiritual eclipse. I want us to come away from our time together ready to more regularly embrace the astonishing goodness God offers us. Experiences with awe change us. They cause us to ask questions and they move us to learn. Awe is full of paradox. It invokes vastness, and makes us feel small. We are nothing compared to God. At the same time, awe makes us feel God's power and love. We mean everything to God. Maybe it's been a long time since you have felt awe or felt God in your life. Life's busyness coupled with discouragement, depression, anxiety, Isolation, grief, and a host of other factors can make it difficult to experience or to remember when you felt awe. At times, it can be hard to believe that you'll ever experience something remarkable again. During the solar eclipse, my moment of awe came after only five hours of driving. But let me tell you about another experience with awe that was five years in the making and came only after an eclipse of light and hope. In the late 1990s, 
My 20-something self was all about pursuing my passions. After I returned home from my mission in Paraguay, a study abroad in Mexico led me to change my major from biology to Spanish. I worked as a backcountry guide in the summer and a ski patroller in the winter. A mentor and I started two companies in the outdoor recreation industry. And so naturally, when the time came to pursue a master's degree, I chose parks, recreation, and tourism with an emphasis in finance and marketing. Later, at the end of the 1990s, I worked in business development for a technology startup. My life was busy and demanding, but it was also full of promise and always exciting. Then things changed. In 2000, when the growth of all of my business ventures was peaking, I began having impressions that I should return to school, complete a PhD, and of all things, become a professor. Now, I didn't know anything about being a professor, but the impressions became clearer when President Gordon B. Hinckley counseled listeners to get all of the education you can. In 2001, without much idea of what I was getting myself into, I left the technology company and the two startups I co-founded. Amy and I, we packed up our things in a U-Haul truck and we drove south away from our families in Utah to College Station, Texas, in the middle of a hot and sweaty August. I started classes, and I quickly became overwhelmed. I questioned if I had made a mistake. I sat in my tiny, windowless office, hour after hour, with a foul-mouthed office mate asking myself, how could I run another regression, review another paper, or evaluate one more ridiculous theoretical puzzle assigned to me by my professors? I was surrounded by people who seemed a lot smarter than me and more capable. I worried that somebody was going to figure out that I didn't deserve to be there. I remember writing my first academic paper I spent days working to produce what I thought was a well-written manuscript. My professor returned the paper covered with red marks and critical comments. I walked outside to a wooded area near the business building. My hands crumpled the paper as I paced next to a small creek. I sobbed as I prayed out loud. I could not understand why God prompted us to travel to this place only to fail. I lay awake night after night, contemplating how I'd get out, how it would all end. I met with a counselor. I tried medication to help. I even took up the habit of eating a huge bowl of bluebell ice cream every night. Well, actually, actually, it did help a little bit. <laughs> I prayed for answers, but none seemed to come. What was I to do? Perhaps some of you can relate to feeling such despair. Maybe you're in a state of spiritual eclipse where everything is dark and awe is absent. What can we do when God feels distant, even when we desperately need him? I want to share three actions that have helped me 
when I have longed to feel spiritual connection, and I hope they will help you too. Number one, act so that we can believe. Not believe then act, not act as if we believe, but act so that we can believe. For some people, believing is simple. Their beliefs and their actions are so intertwined that they don't really see a difference. But for others of us, especially those of us who are trekking through our own wilderness or feeling estranged from God, acting takes every bit of faith we have. In Texas, when everything seemed so hopeless to me, I dragged myself to sacrament meeting, I fulfilled my callings, and I kept praying for help, even though the heavens seemed closed. Those actions actually kept me in the good place of orbit of good people. They were my way of being faithful, even though my path to future success felt pretty tenuous. Rather than focusing on outcomes, which I mostly could not control, I spent time on inputs, things I could control. One day during my first October in grad school, I was feeling particularly discouraged, unsuccessful, and marooned. The southern Texas weather was still balmy, and there were no colorful autumn vistas. I missed the crisp air of a Utah fall and getting together with family for general conference. Nothing felt awesome in Texas, not even my favorite hobbies. I tried camping, but then discovered fire ants. <laughs> I attempted kayaking in a river, but the signs warning of alligators scared me off. I was certain my life of pursuing my beloved passions was over. Forget about awesome. I longed for anything that just felt normal. So between general conference sessions, Amy and I acted. We got on our bikes and we rode, searching the neighborhoods and back roads in hopes we might see some fall colors. We rode for over an hour and didn't see a single autumn vista. But eventually, we found ourselves down a beautiful rural dirt road. Birds were chirping, toads croaking, with the vast Texas sky overhead. We rounded a corner, and there it was, a tree with two branches of leaves that were turning color. <laughs> now, they were mostly brown, not bright yellows and reds, but it was something. It was a divine surprise. We cut off one of the small branches and we placed it in our, on our little kitchen table. It became a precious reminder to me that God was aware of my challenges and he was giving me glimpses that he was there. While I didn't find exactly what I was looking for that day, I received a reason to keep believing. In Liberty Jail, at the height of the persecution of the early church, and in his own deep despair, Joseph Smith began to wonder if God would ever again intervene to succor the saints. The Lord reminded the prophet, let us cheerfully do all things that lie in our power, and then may we stand still with the utmost assurance to see the salvation of God and for his arm to be revealed. What's within your power right now? If you want to believe in God, the gospel, 
your future. Act first and then see what gets revealed. Two, recognize, remember, record. Alma asked his followers, if ye have experienced a change of heart, and if ye have felt to sing the song of redeeming love, I would ask, can ye feel so now? Some of us might answer with a resounding yes, but many of us who have felt inspiration previously, maybe during childhood, adolescence, or while on a mission, struggle to feel it now. This is normal. Spiritual feelings come and go throughout our lives, just as light does throughout a year. Remembering fortifies. We can more fully appreciate times when God has spoken peace to us if we cast our minds back and recall those specific occasions when the Lord spoke peace to our minds, as he did with Oliver Cowdery. Recognizing that God has made himself known to us in the past gives us confidence he will again in the future. What might happen if we took a few more minutes each day to recognize, remember, and record when we've heard God's voice in our lives, the way President Nelson has invited us? Okay, so it's easy for me to say, spend time recognizing, remembering, and, recognize, and recording God's hand in your life. But where are you going to find time? Well, I can give you some. You weren't expecting this, but maybe by doing something a little unusual and at the risk of a bit of awkwardness, something surprising might happen for you like it did for me during the solar eclipse. Let's temporarily put ourselves in a zone of totality. Thanks to the lighting crew, it's going to get dark in here. Then while we sit here in the darkness, I'm going to ask you some questions. And I invite you to recognize and remember the personal and unexpected ways that God is at work in your life right now. While it's getting dark, get comfortable in your seats. Let go of your phones and empty your laps. Will you just put down your burdens for a minute? Let's pause and take a few deep breaths. I'm going to share a few words to help us consider some of God's miracles that we may take for granted as ordinary. Elder Lawrence Cobridge said, the most phenomenal occurrences of all time and eternity, the most amazing wonders, the most astounding, awesome developments are the most common and widely recognized. They include I am, you are, we are. Is there anything greater than those ordinary, ordinary realities? No. Nothing else even comes close. You can't begin to imagine, much less describe, anything greater than what already is. Okay, now remember a time when you felt God in your life and you weren't expecting it. How did the divine touch your heart? 
Maybe you felt love or peace or joy. Relive that experience in your mind for a moment. Where were you? Why was it personally meaningful to you? How did you suspect or even know that God had a hand in that experience? In the zone of totality, we can't see the sun, but that does not change the fact that the sun is there. I know God is there, always. Even when we can't see or feel the light of his love. Tonight, or sometime in the next few days, Will you take a moment to record your experience? Documenting the Lord's hand in your life changes you. It makes you more aware and receptive to the reality that he delights in making himself known to you. Once you've done this, what can you do to consistently recognize, remember, and record God's goodness in your life. Thanks for doing that with me. I hope it wasn't too weird. If it was, don't worry. They only give us one shot at doing a devotional, so you'll never have to go through that again. (laughs) What we did in this little exercise actually made a big difference for me when I was in Texas. It struck me hard when President Hinckley said, to get all the education you can. But that feeling dissipated over the years. During those dark and difficult times in my doctoral program, even when I couldn't see or feel God's influence in my life, I reflected on that memory. And that memory gave me the hope to keep going. And now to the third action. Seek thin places. Being in certain settings can also help us see glimpses of God's goodness. Drawing from an old Celtic expression, Sister Virginia Pierce suggests that some environments are thin places. A thin place is where, for a moment, the spiritual world and the natural world intersect where we experience a deep sense of God's presence in our everyday lives. Finding these places helps us hear the Lord and experience the surprising and personal insights He desires to share with us through the Spirit. Years ago, a student came to me in a panic. He'd been unsettled for days about which of two job offers to accept. Rather than hash through the details, I suggested he go outside and walk around. It was a cool autumn day, and we all know how powerful fall colors can be. The following week, he told me that just changing the scenery in his life 
opened him up to revelation he hadn't been able to access previously. It brought him to a thin place of awe and connection. These thin places are going to be different for each person, but finding them involves being intentional about where you are and observant about what's happening when you're there. For some, a situation or activity rather than a particular place is the doorway to awe. For me, riding my bike or hiking early in the morning, whether I'm on slick rock or among pine needles, are activities that can put me in touch with the divine. Talking with friends or being with family members also can be sacred situations. Think for a second, and I'm confident you'll realize there are thin places, situations, or activities where you can find peace and access to the Spirit. The Lord counseled the early saints, stand ye in holy places. This guidance is as much about where our heart is as where our feet are. Preparing the state of our heart when we enter thin places helps us be ready to experience divine surprises of awe, where we can see how God's will can complement our own. Where can you find thin places and activities that inspire you? Can you make a simple plan to go there this week? The actions I've shared, acting, remembering, and seeking thin places were important choices that I began to practice during my PhD program, even on the days when I felt numb to the spirit and had a difficult time remembering what hopefulness felt like. But slowly, as I practiced them, things began to change. The awe returned, and darkness began to give way to more light. I studied until my brain hurt, and I got better at understanding the material. My office mate and I began exercising together and became close friends. My grades improved, and I started to realize I was capable of doing the work. With one assurance after another, the Lord nudged me to continue on. I began to notice Him in the simple details of my everyday life. Things I had previously taken for granted or been unable to enjoy. My interactions with classmates and professors. My daily bike rides to and from school. Wednesday night activities with the youth in the ward. And the remarkable goodness of my wife, Amy, whose love and support was constant and whose faith was unwavering. All of these small miracles had been there from the beginning of my journey, but I hadn't been able to notice them. I finished my PhD program, and nearly five years after beginning our adventure to Texas, I stood as a faculty member in front of my first class of students here at BYU, something I could never have imagined during that first semester of my doctoral program. After a student said an opening prayer, I had a distinct impression, a realization that Heavenly Father had brought me to where I was. It was He who had made all of this happen as I gave my best efforts. This was truly a divine surprise. With God, something surprising is always in the making. The awe can come at a moment of peak joy 
or after toiling for years, or even in a dark moment of loss. We often see the value of our experiences more clearly with the benefit of hindsight. When Sariah, Lehi, and their family fled from Jerusalem, they saw glimpses of divine goodness as the Lord led them along the way. He said, I will be your light in the wilderness. But the family didn't fully appreciate the significance of the Lord's role until the journey was over. Yea, and the Lord said also, that after ye have arrived in the promised land, ye shall know that I, the Lord God, am God, and that I, the Lord, did deliver you from destruction. Like Sariah and Lehi, we may not fully realize that it is by God we are led until after we've traveled through the wilderness and crossed the great waters. And even when we come out on the other side of those journeys, the difficulties don't end. We all experience daily challenges, even at BYU. Often, many of our greatest trials come as we strive to develop greater spiritual capacity. And this is good news. Our most awesome blessings come through our greatest challenges, some of which we choose, some of which just happen, and some of which are forced upon us. Let's return to my experience at the solar eclipse. When my wife Amy decided to go see the eclipse and took all of us with her, she put our whole family in the zone of totality. We were in a situation where we had the potential to experience something unique. So although we did not set out to be spiritually uplifted, we did put in the effort to be there. But there were also people all across the United States who just happened to be living in this zone of totality and who experienced, unexpectedly, the wonder of that celestial event. And other people, like some of my kids that day, are dragged into the zone of totality by their family or other life events. I'd like to suggest that when we are in these zones of totality, we can exercise trust that we will feel love, connection, and awe as we wait patiently to see the Lord's hand revealed. The sun will shine again, and you'll feel it in a totally new way. God loves you. He desires you to know him. You are deserving of his love because of who you are. You qualify for his influence in your life because you are his child. He thinks you're awesome. And because of this, you are deserving of wonder and awe. No strings attached. Each time I stand in front of students at the beginning of a new semester, I try to remind myself of the awe I felt 16 years ago in my first BYU classroom experience, how the sun broke through after a prolonged period of darkness. I love it here. 
What a privilege to be part of building the Lord's kingdom through this remarkable institution. I love you and am in awe of you, dear students and dedicated and inspiring colleagues and friends. The next time you use the word awesome, will you consider the personal and unexpected ways that God is at work in your life? And when you find yourself in a spiritual eclipse, watch and wait. Keep acting, keep remembering, keep seeking thin places. God is with us in the darkness and in the light. Let me conclude with the greatest divine surprise of all. Our Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, so that we might return to live with our heavenly parents eternally. Think back to the musical number, I Stand All Amazed, that David Keim played so beautifully at the beginning of this devotional. What fills me with profound awe is that our brother, Jesus Christ, would be willing to descend from his throne divine to suffer, bleed, and die to rescue rebellious souls like me and you. His sacrifice is sufficient to redeem and to justify all of humanity and at the same time suckers you and me personally. That is truly awesome. It is our Savior's willingness to accompany each of us in our sorrows, our pains, and our infirmities that allows us to experience the astonishing goodness that our loving Heavenly Father earnestly offers to each of us. Oh, it is wonderful that He should care for me enough to die for me. Oh, it is wonderful, wonderful to me. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. amen. You've been listening to a live broadcast of a BYU campus devotional on Finding Center. Today's address was given by John Bingham, Associate Dean at BYU Marriott School of Business. Join us tomorrow and every weekday for an hour of spiritual focus on what matters most. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.